Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host Sam Ashurst, and I'm here to discuss Red Angel, which is Dan's pick of the week, but I did suggest it to him. So if he hated it, it's entirely my fault, and there is stuff in here that he'll hate for sure. So I'm sorry, Dan. (laughs) I was watching this and I was like, Oh dear, oh no. Drawing your teeth ten minutes in? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh god, what have I done? But, uh, you know, to be fair to me, on paper, it did look like the kind of thing that Dan would love, you know, from the director of Blind Beast and, and a super bleak fest. But yeah, we'll get into all of that over the course of this episode, but I just wanted to say up front... I am sorry for suggesting that you might like this, Dan. Well, I think I did like it in spite of the stuff that you're alluding to. It's obviously an exceptionally well-made film. It's beautifully shot. Uh, and it's, above all, really miserable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> incredibly just what I need. bleak and, and fucked up. You know, there, there are a few better anti-war films, I'd say. I'd, I'd rank it alongside movies like... Come and see Engrave of the Fireflies and Threads in terms of war films that totally mess you up yeah. but in a transcendent way. And I'm surprised that, you know, this is like neither Dan or I had seen this one before doing this episode. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think we've discovered a new masterpiece here and, and thanks yeah, Arrow for, for putting it out. Yeah. Do you want to give a, a quick plot summary, Dan? Without spoilers, could you describe the plot? The movie takes place in various military hospitals during the Japan-China conflicts mm-hmm. of the Second World War and follows a, a female nurse who is moved from near-line to far-line uh, medical hospitals and her various relationships both with men who inflict themselves upon her and men she tries to save in this bleakest of situations Mm -hmm. and while it doesn't necessarily dwell on some of the bleakness that was caused by the hand of japan what it really focuses on is the sort of helplessness of the people that have been caught up in the actions of Japan in the Second World War. So if, if you could make any criticisms of it other than some of the content, although actually I think it was handled pretty well, considering, it, it would be that it is... It, you could accuse it of very slightly glossing over some of the behaviour of Japan, but it's certainly not glorifying their actions in the Second World War, and it really is a, a treatise on the futility and, and brutality of war. And, and it's also important to remember that this did come out in like the sort of mid six well 66 so at at that time i actually think it is critical of japan as far as it can possibly be because it 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 would have been suppressed it would have been banned if it had been openly critical but i think there's stuff like there's a line um if people back home saw me like this they'd realize how terrible war is and hate it and that feels like a, a director's statement if ever i saw one like that was the reason to make this film because there's so much disturbing stuff in here, even in the visuals. Like, there's a shot involving a barrel. No spoilers, but it will stay with me forever. Even the edits attack you. There's, like, one insanely bleak cut, and you'll know it when you see it. So I, I, I think it's criticising both sides. And I think, yeah, it's kind of a miracle that we're watching it now, to be honest. Because um, it could have been suppressed. It could have been banned at that time yeah absolutely it's certainly unflinching in the stuff that it does depict Mm. i mean i I don't know i you know 
I, I don't necessarily think that that it was prevented from being critical. I think it just chose the arguments it wanted to make, mm. uh, and and it, and it certainly isn't making any polit- taking any political stances that I object to. Yeah, and I, all I'm saying is that it it wouldn't have had the freedom to make anything outside of this. Like this is as critical as it could get. I do think it's it's made its choices, and they're great choices, but. I, I think it's operating within restrictions. It could have been destroyed, let alone banned or, or suppressed. Yeah. So it's not a film that could be completely free, but it pushes the boundaries as much as it can. It makes such a strong point in a very beautiful, poetic way. You know, everyone in this film is damaged in some way, either physically, emotionally or, or psychologically. But there is beauty in that pain and there's some wonderfully poetic dialogue like, summer nights are cold here in context what a line that is yeah it's a beautiful film um with with strong things to say i think oh yeah 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 it's 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 great and it is and it's beautifully shot mm. uh, and the acting is great and while it is relatively light in narrative i think that that is there's an economy there mm. that serves the film absolutely it never feels bogged down it certainly doesn't feel slow oh i completely agree yeah and yeah you you, you picked out the cinematography absolutely like there's some really kind of bold compositions for the era with like off-center shots and some really packed frames that look like paintings and the filmmaking matches the themes because lots of the shots feel kind of claustrophobic and intense and there's frames within frames that make us feel like voyeurs or witnesses it really is just brilliant brilliant filmmaking there's so much thought and creativity poured into this impossibly bleak and depressing film yeah wonderful you mentioned it, it having almost this voyeuristic edge to it mm. there's a lot of very long quite wide shots of, of what's going on yeah and the the cinematography does occasionally make you feel like you're there in the room just sort of stood watching everything go down absolutely and i think that a lot of the time it's it's a it's an interesting mix because it kind of straddles this line between high art cinema and exploitation cinema mm-hmm. that is i think that's really why it sort of sang to me because it has this sort of grimy uh, discomfort of exploitation cinema, but it's handled so expertly and it's shot so beautifully that it elevates it and it justifies everything as well. That's a really good point because, you know, we don't want to put people off by making them feel that this movie is homework. It feels like a horror film in places and it certainly is resonant of some later Japanese horror stuff. Yeah, it's not like watching a boring war movie. It's constantly moving and there's constantly like big things happening, if that makes sense. I'm really trying to talk around some of the stuff that happens in the movie, but it is compelling and and yeah, it doesn't feel like eating your vegetables before your dessert. It is also dessert. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of moments, uh, and I'll try and be as oblique as possible. After quite an early, uh, very uncomfortable scene, there's an edit, like a sort of a smash cut to an aftermath of that event, mm-hmm. where it is viewed, and our and our lead character's involvement in it is viewed with such horrific dispassion mm-hmm. from people that should be protecting that person, mm-hmm. and. Obviously, on one hand, it feels like, you know, the, the director drawing parallels between a country and its and its people uh, and, you know, its people being le- left to suffer these indignities. Mm. But then on the other hand, it does feel very much like a like a horror movie, like like structure, like the, the punches that it that, that yeah. it gets that it gets in do feel very horror. Yeah. Almost Mickey-esque yeah. in places like. Yeah. 
Yeah, bits of Henneke. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's yeah. an important film, I'd say. It's a brilliant film. If you can stomach super bleak stuff, it might just be your new favourite film. Um, it will be underseen, but it's films like this that made me want to do the podcast in the first place. So, yeah, please yeah. buy it. Please support Arrow in releasing this kind of stuff on physical media because these really are the kinds of movies that are at risk of being lost in the streaming world. Though I do think this is one that's on Arrow Player. So, yeah, props for Arrow to making it accessible in that way. But this Absolutely. is one you want to have in your collection, I'd say. Yeah, if, you, if you're if you unsure, it, you can you should dip your toe in via the player. The extra features aren't on the, the streaming service, or at least not yet mm. at the time of recording. And they're definitely worth a, worth a look if, if you like it as much as Sam and I do. But but the film itself is is absolutely wonderful. And, and yeah, it is it is available on the streaming service. I think we've kind of said all we need to say about this one. Or at least all, all we can yeah, say without spoiling exactly. it. Exactly. I will, I will say, crank it up. It, you know, sometimes subtitled films, you feel like you can have the volume down a little bit low. Maybe it's one you watch while your partner's asleep. This is one, there's some sound effects work in this that is just absolutely top-notch. And you want your, your skin to crawl, so... Yeah, make keep it nice and loud. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Yeah, so Red Angel, we, we recommend it massively. And we also have some recommendations based on the film itself. Dan, what's first up from you? So first up from me is an American film from 1971. Mm. It's also black and white, or at least it's partially in black and white. Directed by Dalton Trumbo with a uh, an uncredited Louis Brunel assisting on it it's johnny got his gun nice i was this has been on my list for a while i actually hadn't seen it before this first watch recently but it got bumped to the top of the list after a conversation with andre martins it's uh yeah it's classy miserabilism that feels like a cross between boxing helena and holy mountain but with the cheerfulness of threads the plot concerns a young infantryman back from the front line of world war one but minus several of his faculties he spends his days in hospital switching between monochromatically trying to communicate to a, with a medical staff who believe him catatonic due to him being blind, deaf and mute, and technicolour flights of fancy, which include memories of his pre-war love life and imagined conversations with a benevolent carpenter played by Donald Sutherland. It's a poignant black and white anti-war film that's as bleak as it gets, and it would be a great double bill with Red Angel if you haven't quite ruined your night yet. Perfect. Excellent. Speaking of ruining nights, my first recommendation based on Red Angel is Breaking the Waves, which is oh. an, uh, yeah, uh, another film about a, a, <laughs> a woman who has to have sex with men to provide comfort for someone with an extreme disability. Breaking the Waves is a, another bleak and brilliant film. It's in my top 10 of all time. It might be my favourite Von Trier movie, though there's some serious competition there. I, I love Lars Von Trier's work. I actually not say anything else about it, but there's so much going on in this film. And there are moments in the third act that have stayed with me forever. Perhaps the biggest single influence on A Little More Flesh 2, believe it or not. But yes, Breaking the Waves. Actually, I could have recommended A Little More Flesh 2, but... Uh, that would be extremely, extremely <laughs> arrogant of me. Breaking the waves, it is incredible, but brace yourself. I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? Well, I've mentioned this one at length uh, in the past on the podcast, but I feel like we can't talk about a film like this without touching on the human condition. Masaki Kobayashi's trilogy, or septology, depending on how you look at it and where you were when it was released, made between 59 and 61, collectively about nine and a half hours long, it's a black and white Japanese anti-war masterpiece about a conscientious objector 
who's able to uh, leverage his social status into avoiding the draft until he finally falls foul of someone above him in the social hierarchy and is forced onto the the front lines of Japanese war. And it is such a beautiful film. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a there wasn't a part of the trilogy that didn't reduce me to tears, and the ending of the film is one of the most breathtaking, beautiful, and heartbreaking bits of cinema I've ever seen in my life. It's on the Arrow Player as well. There's also a, a box set of it. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And of all the films we've recommended on this podcast, it's it's got to be one of the ones that I recommend the most highly. It's so good. Mm. Maybe we should do a whole episode on it at some point. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love. All to. right. Well. Um, precious arrowheads do watch that ahead of a, a possible future episode because uh yeah i'd really like to cover that too my next recommendation i did consider doing another bleak fest something like sampu den but then that was recommended in the extras on the disc so i crossed that off the list and i figured i should probably <laughs> give the precious arrowheads a bit of a break with william wyler's the best years of our lives now that's not to say it doesn't have its tragic moments it's about three veterans returning home to the US from World War II and trying to reintegrate with their families while suffering physical or mental afflictions. Made in 1946, so very fresh from that conflict, it's an absolute masterpiece, another truly great anti-war movie that was one of the first to show the true trauma of surviving war. And one of the stars, Harold Russell, was a real veteran who lost both of his hands in the Pacific. He's actually the only actor to win Two Oscars for the same performance, this one, Best Supporting Actor, and an honorary award to recognise his example to other disabled veterans. He was also, coincidentally, the first non-professional actor to win an Academy Award for acting, so some big ones there. He was also the only performer to sell his Oscar at auction, which is um, quite cool as well. But yeah, shot by Greg Toland, who also shot Citizen Kane. So it features similarly magnificent use of deep focus, I really love this movie. It's almost three hours, but it does fly by and it really stays with you. So, yeah, the best years of our lives. High recommendation. Nice. All right. Well, let's move on to what we've been watching over the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you got for us this fortnight? I watched a 1991 second wave Italian horror film that I'd never seen before. Oh, so. hell yeah. Yeah, it's Michele Suave's La Setta, or The Sect. Ooh, nice. Which I'd, ne I'd never seen. It's on Shameless in the UK, written by Suave with Argento, and they were joined by Gianni Romoli. And this is like three years before Della Morte Della More, which Romoli would write with Suave later. I'd simply not got round to this before. And I'm, I'm sad that I hadn't. I'm delighted I've seen it now. It's often mentioned as like a second thought to the church, like an afterthought. Yeah. But I actually think it might, I might prefer it to the church. Like what it lacks in Goblin soundtrack and any form of cohesive narrative <laughs> <laughs> is made up for in just beautiful visuals. And, you know, what I could only imagine is Argento, Romali, and Suave just like throwing every idea they possibly had during a, like a drug-fueled away break in a haunted well. It's got great practical effects by Sergio Stivaletti, and it's got a destitute Herbert Lom in it. Like, what more do you want? It gets it gets unfairly compared to Rosemary's Baby. It's not that. It's a cult movie. It's a nightmare movie. It's got dreams. It's got bugs going up people's noses. It's got a really big bird. All the hits. It's great. Yeah. All the hits. <laughs> like, you know, write down all your stuff. Like, uh, write down all the things you want to see in a movie. 
Do you want to see someone's legs get real long? That's it. <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! I love it. It's got a good burn. It's got a great burn in it. It's got an amazing burn. Oh, excellent. It's got two good burns, actually. Yeah, no, it's great. It's got everything. All right, well, dissect. We'll all check it out on that recommendation because I, I think it's safe to say literally everyone listening to this podcast likes to see legs go long. Who doesn't like to see legs go long? <laughs> You're like, this is good, but when are the legs going? Hey! <laughs> it's happening. Uh, Look how long her legs are. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> now, my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks has a little bit of backstory to it because... I'm currently waiting for my work permit in the States. And while I do that, I've been volunteering at the Hollywood Theatre, which is an iconic non-profit cinema here in Portland. Quite famous, well-regarded and very, very cool. And yeah, that's been loads of fun. The people there are just so lovely, like the staff and the customers. So I've made some nice new friends and it just feels good to be contributing to cinema in a different way like my whole life has been spent in the service of cinema whether that's writing about film or making them or talking about them on this podcast so selling tickets to cool weird stuff feels like it fits very well i am not getting paid it is a volunteering job just in case there's any government agencies listening to this podcast i really am not getting paid but i do get to jump into the films and so i watched inframan on 35mm, Dan. Oh, wow. Yes, on a massive screen this week, and it was just absolutely glorious. The film is basically Ultraman meets Godzilla meets Masters of the Universe, and it is a Shaw Brothers movie, so there's a chance it will pop up on a future kind of box set collection. But yeah, it's just absolute insanity from start to finish. I know this is one that you're very familiar with. It's otherwise yeah. known as Super Inframan, but was uh, billed as Inframan here for whatever reason. And yeah, it has some of the, the most insane monsters in cinema history and they just keep on coming. Super fun, super entertaining. I had seen it before. Obviously, you know, it's it's at one of the iconic shores. But on the big screen. But yeah, this was the first time on the big screen and on 35 millimeter it was just so jealous. much fun so much was, fun. It, was it a good print was it, it was a very very scratchy print but that's good but that's no that's what I exactly want. <laughs> it was a great print <laughs> and there were a couple of jumps you know it's exactly what you want from the experience and the crowd here was very oh, receptive lovely. as well lots of cheers and applause and stuff yeah it was really really fun so i recommend keeping an eye out on what's playing at the hollywood theater if you're in portland and i also recommend just seeking out inframan or super inframan whatever you call it just watch that movie it is incredible and they're showing The Road Warrior on 35mm at the weekend, Dan. Are they showing it with the American dub? So. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. With all the American accents. Ooh. That'd be a trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we're like, we want to watch the worst version. <laughs> exactly. <of this. laughs> but yeah, no, Inframan, I recommend prince, it though. for that's sure. Great, you don't yeah. have to see it on 35mm on the big screen to enjoy it. It is ridiculous fun, as I'm sure Dan will agree. Yeah, absolutely. That's great fun. I'm, yeah, I'm very jealous. We were talking about, you, me you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about uh, Red Angel specifically mm. i i'm going to the prince charles to see come and see on the big screen oh yes in a couple of weeks fantastic jesus christ um, what a time to I'm see looking, that movie I'm as well forward to that what it, what a time to see it <laughs> sam yeah oh my goodness wow incredible well do report back uh yeah so if i'm just a, 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 a 
a sniveling husk next time we talk. <laughs> it's because of that. Yeah, amazing. And so what else have you been watching this fortnight, Dan? What else have you got for us? Well, I've gone from one that you can pick up on Blu-ray pretty easily to one that you have to buy a slightly questionable DVD to watch. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you and I might have picked up at the old Camden Film Fair oh, yeah. back in the day, mm-hmm. Sam. Um, it's Lone Wolf Isazo. You heard of this? No. Oh, Sam, you're going to love this. You're going to love it. It's from 1968. Oh, yes, please. Uh, It's directed by Kazuo Ikehiro. Mm -hmm. Um, It stars Raizu Ichikawa, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was made between, I think, like the 6th and 7th of his Sleepy Eyes of Death franchise. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's bombastic, but surprisingly touching story of the titular professional lone wolf isazo he's a gambler mm-hmm. uh and uh and a yakuza and he is often considered to be the deciding factor in warring disputes between factions so whoever can hire him will win because he's so good at fighting nice. but it's his story told via the reminiscences of a man who met him several times and came to develop a relationship with him so it's got this sort of, it starts with uh, with uh, guys sitting around a fire, warming sake in the coals and like chatting about this guy. Oh, Isazo, the uh, the rambler. And he's like, oh, they a better name for him would be Isazo the ripper because <laughs> of how many people he killed. Hmm. And, the, and then the film gets into that and he, he, you know, he meets him once. There's a short bit at the beginning where he meets him and he's like, oh my God, he's amazing. And it, it shows you Isazo as like a, a questionable anti-hero, more anti than hero. Mm. And then as the film goes on, you learn more about his backstory and the sort of politics that are at play. It's amazing. It's got amazing action. It's got messy relationships. It's got bloody vengeance. And it's got class-based shame. So, it, again, all the... all the yeah. It had legs going long. No legs going long. Um, Forget it. No legs no legs going long. Legs might come off, though. Oh, all right. I'm back on board. Which is, you know... <laughs> it's kind of like they get long when they get cut off because they are moved away from the body. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm back in. Uh, amazing <laughs> recommendation. I've never heard of it, so... Yeah, you'd yeah. love it, Sam. Yeah, I will seek that out for sure. Well, we're going to go from one that you can't really get to one that you definitely can get because I rewatched Antichrist this week. Yay! <laughs> because, you know, my week wasn't bleak enough. I decided to watch the Criterion release of Antichrist, which is fantastic. The main reason I watched it is because Shay hadn't seen it. And watching it with her was an absolute joy. It was great to experience the sheer power of that film with her. She didn't know anything about it. Kind of the big moments were big moments for her, which was fantastic. Yeah, we've been doing a run of kind of bleak movies. She hadn't seen Irreversible or Threads. So we did those and Ooh. she loved them so much that we did Antichrist. So yeah, if anyone out there, you know how Dan likes uh, the Precious Arrowheads to recommend farces to him. I would like anyone out there to try and recommend a, a bleak film that I haven't seen. Because yeah, I'm always on the hunt for bleak, disturbing stuff. Yeah, I'll get in on yeah, that. <laughs> like, yeah, like there you go. Perfect. Please, you know, message or tweet or email both Dan and I with your bleakest ever watches. And if we haven't seen it, we will watch it and report back. Stuff on the kind of level of, of threads and irreversible and antichrist for me, please. Have you seen Testament, Sam? I haven't. There we go. Perfect. Oh, you'll love Testament. Right. I'm literally writing this down now, even though I'm going to edit this I think podcast. It, I think it got an Academy. And it's going to be a permanent I think it record. Got... <laughs> <laughs> you get it in your ear again. 
but yeah, no, I think I think it might have got an Academy Award for the screenplay. Oh, fantastic! It's about a woman trying to hold her family together while they await news from the West Coast. They're in Middle America. Mm. While they await news from the West Coast, which may or may not have just been hit by a nuke. Oh, baby, yes. And her and her husband was in California on business, and they can't reach him. Oh, yes. That is... Right, Arrowhead, Dan has provided for you the perfect example of what I'm talking about. That is absolutely <laughs> perfect. So, um, but yeah, back to... and It's got... Go on. Yeah. Kevin Costner's best role. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ, it's a Costner movie. He's very young. Wow. Very, very young. He's, he plays the neighbour. Oh, fantastic. Well, I, that's, that's perfect. And yeah, I will hunt that down for sure. But back to Antichrist. If you're a Red Angel fan and you haven't seen Antichrist, it's a supplemental recommendation. It's astonishing. Von Trier's made a film that is harrowing, but also strangely comforting, or at the very least cathartic. Um, if you've suffered grief or, or anxiety or depression, um, it is kind of weirdly cathartic purely because it just understands something really deep and dark about those things um it was only my second watch ever because the first watch fucked me up so much but it was a totally different experience partly because shay got so much from it but partly because it's almost a different film on the second watch an utter masterpiece it's gone way up in my von trier rankings i know i've said masterpiece a lot this episode but we're talking about some really good films um dan how do you feel about antichrist i suspect you don't like it but do you i don't know oh i need to i need to go back to it okay it's to be brutally honest it felt like it was trying a bit hard oh oh dear is my main complaint Mm -hmm. but i don't know if that was just me going into it in the wrong frame of mind right yes because it's a lot it is i mean it's a lot it is the ultimate you know love it or hate it movie and actually i remember it can I didn't get into the screening because it was oversubscribed. But, you know, my dear, dear friend, Jamie Graham, Total Film, he got in. And so, you know, obviously we, we discussed it afterwards. And I actually recorded a video for the website at Total Film um, because Jamie was just raging so much. He absolutely hated it. He hated it. Um, <laughs> but I talked to him about it before recording the Evolution of Horror podcast episode I did on, on Von Trier. And uh, I was like, Jamie, how do you feel about Antichrist now? And he's like, yeah, I revisited it and I love it. <laughs> so, Well, that's the thing. I think that in the right mind space, it might be for me. Yeah, I, I really agree. Um, it's doing so much really, really interesting stuff and like even on a technical level like there was stuff that weird shit that i hadn't even noticed the first time around that i dialed into this time um yeah it's a very very well made film on top of everything else so um and it's a total troll against tarkovsky which is also quite funny even though i love tarkovsky it's him sticking his middle finger up at tarkovsky in my opinion but anyway enough about antichrist i do recommend it though again brace yourself for um uh, some sad business that's what this whole episode has been about sad (laughs) business business. (laughs) welcome to sad business all right well that is it for recommendations let us move on to extra features extra features extra features Extra features. Extra, extra features. features is just go um, f- go for a nice walk in the sunshine. That is my extra feature. Or or <laughs> the sun is out. Like this at work today, we all went a bit mad. Hey, 
Like it was like spring fever in the workshop. We were all cackling and making jokes. Yes. And it was, it was a, you know, it's a nice atmosphere at the best of times. But actually, today it was, yeah, it's, summer's coming. It's really yeah. nice. I have a recommendation, another recommendation, but it's TV. So perfect. Let's hear it. And it's TV from 1991. Oh. So, and it's TV from 1991 that it took me fucking ages to find. <laughs> I had to buy a, I had to buy an old Simply Media DVD off eBay has been out of print for ages but it's worth checking out if any of you are familiar with malcolm bradbury's tv series the gravy train which is on the channel 4 on demand service in the uk which is a, a sort of searing comedy about all of the various sort of self-serving individuals in british politics and european politics and how they interact which is very good there's a second series of it which i'd known about for ages but it hadn't been able to uh, tracked down before and when i mentioned come and see and you said what a time to watch to see that film yes. you know at the cinema what a time to watch gravy train goes east oh <laughs> the uh the, the second series of the bradbury thing only ran for two seasons starring ian richardson and christoph waltz nice it's about a small recently revolutioned out of communism eastern european country vying for membership to the eu Oh my god! And all of the all of the people who endorse and also have huge problems with that situation. Wow! It is in in the same way that occasionally you can go back and watch like Yes Minister and just go, Oh god, it's like a documentary. <laughs> like all the various uh, controversies and and scandals that they deal with yes. in that show. This is yeah. There's a, a you know. It hasn't got to war yet, but yeah, this feels like a very salient time to watch Gravy Train Goes East. So yeah, if you uh, if you want to, I think it was like twelve quid in the end. I picked it up for two disc box set. The first series is free on on the Channel Four streaming thing. It's really good. Cool. It's very very biting satire. Wow, perfect. Well, we've and a very very young Christoph Waltz, which is endlessly amusing. Well, this has been a, a comparatively short episode, but we have provided you with hours and hours of depressing shit so you're welcome basically you're welcome gravy train is a comedy it's nice yeah but no, it's still quite depressing yeah. <laughs> just in context <laughs> yeah the only thing that isn't depressing in context is the is the walk in the sun that you recommend <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah please do take that just, walk just, yeah just 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 a couple of minutes away from all of it just that's <laughs> On that note, let's provide access to our internet shenanigans via social media. Dan, how can people follow you? Uh, I'm at 13fingerfx on both Twitter and Instagram. It's a mix of stills from films I've worked on, me uh, it being excited about films I've worked on that are coming out, and then occasionally me grumbling about things like 3D printers. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> perfect. I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. I am at Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram. There is a chance that there'll be incoming puppy pictures on Instagram because uh, we have just got a, a, a lovely new dog. The name is a working title right now, but, you know, it, he'll probably pop up on my uh, Instagram feed at some point in the near future. How much, how much authority do you have with the name of the dog? I have... Uh, approximately zero authority so it, it was already named pumpkin uh when it came to us it's a rescue dog it's okay. a, a stray from mexico actually it was rescued from a dumpster 
the poor little thing. Oh. So yeah, we're, we're giving him lots and lots of love and food and stuff. Could be that Pumpkin stays forever as a name, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I feel like you should call him Santo. Oh, yes, there you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a case. When I'll I was... make a case with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, or the Blue Demon, either yeah. or. When I was, when I was growing up. My parents had different names for our childhood dog. <laughs> well, yes, that's what I think we're going to go with. I think everyone's going to have its own name for the, the lovely Poor confused thing. thing. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, that's enough about my dog. Let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. Thank and you. we promise to be more professional next time. It's a promise. Bye-bye. Bye.